Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Glossy Week in Review podcast, where we talk about three of the biggest news stories in fashion from the week. I'm Glossy's fashion reporter, Danny Parisi, and with me, as usual, is Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Jill, thank you for coming back after you took a week off. How have you been? <laughs> Great to be back. Thanks, Danny. Great. So we've we've got some very big news to start with, which... Um, just broke today, the, uh, the day that we're recording this, which is Wednesday. Uh, Daniel Lee is leaving Bottega Veneta after three years there. After that, we'll talk a bit about Dior's um, first show in London in several years. And finally, we'll go over some of the biggest collaborations that are dropping this week, including Tiffany and Supreme and a couple others. But to start with, Jill, let's go right into it. Daniel Lee has been um, kind of a, a darling at Bottega Veneta for the last couple years, and then very abruptly, Kind of out of nowhere, it just was a, a joint announcement between him and Bottega. He is, or between him and Caring, I should say, that he is leaving, which was kind of out of nowhere. No reason given, no replacement named, really kind of abrupt. I had no real inkling that this was going to happen. I thought he was doing really well there. And ever, I mean, not to say that, that it was like some negative reason, because who knows, but I had no expectation that he was about to leave. Did you have any feeling that that might happen or did you feel like that kind of came out of nowhere? Yeah, it felt out of left field. Definitely a bright spot on on Caring's roster of designers. Um, and we know that Bottega was the only brand that saw growth in, in its portfolio, Caring's, in 2020. Literally, I mean, he's doing a bang-up job. So in my in my book, you know, mutual decision or mutual announcement or whatever, I my theory is this is his decision. People are saying, you know, is he is he maybe like couldn't step up or overwhelmed or couldn't take the heat and maybe that is a reason, but I honestly I expect him to be making a, an announcement soon that he has another I don't know, offer or sign has signed with another brand um and is doing something in a bigger in a bigger way. Maybe it's a bigger brand or, or something. I, I, I have a hunch there are bigger and better things in store for him. Yeah, I think it's probably a safe bet, although who knows, that he's probably not going to go to another caring brand just because I feel like they would probably announce that with the, you know what I mean? They would do it all yeah. at once if it was going to like Gucci or something. Uh, so yeah, where he goes from here, maybe he does his own brand. Maybe he joins Phoebe at her brand or something. Who knows what can happen there? Ooh, that would be sexy. Yeah. For a little context, I think we should talk a little bit about the sort of narrative around Daniel Lee uh, from, from when he started at Bottega, which was sort of like a couple of years ago, Phoebe Philo was the beloved designer at Celine. She left and was replaced by Hedy Slimane. And I think for a lot of people uh, who are fans of Celine and particularly fans of Phoebe, Hedy's sort of version of Celine was really not what they wanted. It was a little bit more, a little sexier and edgier and YSL. more like, yeah, like much more Yves Saint Laurent. And that was not really what a lot of people liked, I think, about Phoebe's style. And Daniel Lee, as a former protege of Phoebe and what he was doing at Bottega, was sort of seen as the successor to Phoebe's sort of design ethos. And while she was on hiatus the last couple of years, that was for a lot of people who were hardcore Phoebe Philo heads, Daniel Lee's Bottega was like sort of the next best thing. And you mentioned this, but like, yeah, Bottega was the only caring brand that like saw growth, even when all the other ones weren't. I don't think they didn't have like crazy skyrocketing numbers, but it was pretty like solid, steady growth across all three years that he was at Bottega. There was also a lot of like critical acclaim. He won, I think at the 
like BFC Fashion Awards in 2019, he swept he and and Bottega I should I should say swept like designer of the year, accessories designer of the year, brand of the year, like all in the same year. Um, so and up for CFDA awards tonight on Wednesday. So um, international oh, women's true. designer of the year, men's designer of the year. So if he wins, that's I guess bittersweet. That's that's odd. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. By the time this episode comes out, we will know. But yeah, so I think that was sort of the the narrative around Daniel Lee at Bottega was sort of this successor to Phoebe Philo and and a lot of like beloved designs that that were sort of understated and classy, more in like the old Celine kind of style, which we saw when Phoebe announced her new brand, there is still just an insane amount of demand for. Yes, he was doing cool, interesting things. I mean, definitely did his job in the three three plus years he was there to really stir buzz. He wiped the Instagram account, which was like, what are they doing? Every other brands copied that move to kind of start from scratch. Um, he just did this the the show in Detroit that we talked about, which you know, if you're a lame brand and you can't be a lame brand and do something in Detroit, you have to. <laughs> the brand has to carry that weight. So. Definitely. And he he brought back the it bag, I guess, for a Bottega. I mean, that was everywhere on Instagram. All the it girls have it. So, someone on our team just said that bag uh, like it's over. But I mean, it's not like the Louis Vuitton tote. I'm still obsessed with with the Bottega bags. I think he was doing innovative, cool things, had that cool factor. So, yeah, kind of worry about Bottega. What's next? Who can replace him? They better, I don't know, be amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I could see, I mean, Maybe Bottega will do the exact same thing that Celine did, which was cultivate this sort of like certain customer who was obsessed with Phoebe Philo and then replace them with like the total opposite kind of designer. And then all of those people uh, will just have to migrate again somewhere else. So who knows? Um, We'll see who, who they replace him with and where he ends up. I mean, do you think he has the sort of star power to start his own brand or do you think he's just going to end up at another one of the big luxury houses? I do. And yet he's not like he's a quiet, I guess, designer. Like he doesn't have the star power of a Virgil or a um, Alessandro who's out there on Instagram. And yeah, the face of the brand, like you don't know him by his face. Some people might. Most people don't. And so, I mean, Daniel Lee, who the hell, I guess like fashion insiders would would follow him and be interested. I'm sure he'd pack impact. But I do think he needs to be like, if he's going to do something like that, he needs to be more kind of a face of the brand and <laughs> a star himself. Yeah, definitely. Although a while ago, I was asking a bunch of people when Phoebe like announced her own brand a couple of months ago, I was asking a bunch of people why she has developed such a cult following. And part of the question was, she's not a very public facing person either. Like she has a sort of mystique around her, even without being very active, like she's on Instagram or, or on social media in general. But I that's think interesting. I yeah. think that's rare though, to, to be able to inspire like sort of a culty kind of devotion without that. And not to say that it can't happen again, but I do think that's rare. Um, but it is notable yeah. that she's also not very public facing and yet still has like kind of a devoted following. I could see it though, splitting the like Phoebe Philo head, like audience, you know, because she's going to have her own brand. Is there going to be as much demand for like sort of another Phoebe like designer out there? Phoebe herself is there designing and you can't just go for, go to her. Um, But anyway, I mean, I personally think he's a great designer. um, So we'll see where he ends up. We shall see. 
Our second story, Kim Jones and Dior will be showing uh, a menswear show in London in December. Um, There's a lot of firsts involved with this show. It's the first show the brand has done in the UK since 2016. It's the first major luxury brand to have an in-person show in London since Brexit. Um, And I believe it's also their first menswear show since the pandemic began. So it's it's got a lot of firsts involved with it. What are your What are your initial thoughts on Dior having a big show in London? I know there's there was a lot of consternation a couple of years ago about what the UK leaving the EU would do to London's status as a fashion city. So, what what do you make of that initially? And then I'll give you my thoughts too. It wouldn't surprise me if there was some sort of incentive for the brand to do a show there. The UK, London lost a lot of brands from London Fashion Week, Burberry, Victoria Beckham, who typically show there, did not. Um, But there was a lot of, you know, good positive buzz because it allowed for some of these indie designers who are cool and and sexy and bringing something fresh to the the mix, like Nancy DiGiacco, I'm a fan, um, that very... um, subversive basics, uh, sheer, sheer layers and such definitely made a statement. So yeah, very good for the, for the city. Doesn't surprise me much just in terms of like we talked about again with Bottega and Detroit, like brands are just going, uh, where and where, what feels good to them. Kim Jones, this is his hometown. Same thing with, with Daniel Lee. And he was saying, you know, he was feeling obsessed with Detroit. So maybe it's, um, designer led, and it just makes sense for the brand. Uh, throwing throwing caution to the wind, throwing the seasonal calendar kind of out out the door. Yeah, I thought the same thing about Kim, like Kim Jones' specific personal influence on this decision. Because I I don't know if uh, an Italian designer leading Dior would have had as much, you know, would have pushed as much to do a show there. Um, he th- there was not a ton of um, press out there about it yet, but I think. The quote I saw from Kim, he like straight up said it's because it's his hometown and he he loves the city a lot. So, um, but uh, yeah, uh, one of the things that's come up a lot around Brexit and talking to people in fashion is, in addition to a lot of the sort of political and cultural impacts of Brexit, there's a lot of sort of just nitty gritty things that just became more difficult, like still doable but more difficult. You know, you can still. You can still fly in models from around Europe into the UK for a show. It's just harder, you know, because when the UK was part of the EU, you know, you can check into the airport faster. Like even just like little things like that just adds a million tiny headaches in addition to some of the larger ones. So for doing a big event like that, I mean, I I talked, I remember talking to a few models years ago when, when Brexit was still being worked out, um, which we know it was being worked out until literally the last second. But that was something that came up a lot was just like the freedom to move around uh, between European countries more easily. And just so I, I think part of it is just logistical. It's just like annoying to do a show in the UK when you could, especially if you're not based in the UK, um, like Dior is based in Italy. So it's, um, you know, it. why do a show in the UK when it's going to be more of a headache when you can just do one in Rome or somewhere else? Uh, okay, so last uh, last thing we're going to talk about, um, there's a couple of interesting collaborations dropping this week or announced this week. So we kind of just uh, rounded up a few of them and we'll, we'll go through each of them. Um, I only have a couple of thoughts on each, but we'll, we'll talk about whatever we want to. Um, first one is the Tiffany and Supreme collaboration. So this one, I'm sure a lot of people were involved, but you probably have to shout out creative director Ruba Abunima, who is, a, as we've mentioned before, a big streetwear person. Um, she just joined Tiffany 
uh, kind of recently, I think in the last couple of months, she is a co-host of Culture Club and does a bunch of cool streetwear stuff. So it does not totally surprise me that the she took over and then within a couple of months, they're doing a Supreme collaboration. Did you get a chance to look at the actual collection and like see what it looks like? I did. It's got some of those kind of, I guess, heart, almost locket looking necklaces. Um, It says something to the effect of return to Supreme. So they replaced the Tiffany logo with the Supreme logo. Um, I thought that Cam Wolf and GQ made made the best kind of comparison or the best commentary about this, which is um, that LVMH's playbook is really partnering with Supreme to revive a brand. It's what Louis Vuitton did. It's it's what Rimoa did. So yeah, I mean, and my God, let's just say like Tiffany is doing so much so fast um, since January uh, when LVMH scooped it up. Uh, aside from the not your your mother's Tiffany that we've talked about and Jay-Z and Beyonce campaign we've talked about. I mean, most recently, if you look at their Instagram, I mean, it's Kim Kardashian, it's Hailey Bieber. It's just like it's a totally new brand. So um, something to be said for that. I'm sure it's showing up and it, it's working to to attract Gen Z and younger customers. So um, I, I would think that it, it is having a positive effect. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I mean, we know that they've been sort of going for a less stodgy kind of like more hip version of Tiffany recently. I I have to wonder if when LVMH took over, they looked at whatever data they've got in the back end there and they were like, we need to appeal to 16 year olds. Like, I is that who is buying a Tiffany diamond, like whatever? I don't know. I mean, they would know better than anybody, I guess. But to me, it seems like it's fun and cool and and like yeah you got to start appealing to young people at some point but i'm like is that really who the target customer is here and i guess the tiffany has a wide range of prices and stuff but it's still it seems a little i don't know i i usually associate it with sort of older richer customers so i don't know but i mean maybe they've got everybody on there it would be interesting to watch their their I guess balance of more like the fashion jewelry and items. Like I said, this like silver locket. Um, I think key rings or or like a keychain type of a product was part of this Supreme collab. Um, if if that that um, category is ramping up, um, and maybe the the fine jewelry is is downsizing. I'm not sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's move on to Skims and Fendi, which I believe we talked about when it was first uh, sort of announced, but now it's out and it supposedly made a ridiculous amount of money. I think it was a million dollars in the first 60 seconds is what I saw, which is pretty crazy. But also I feel like people are always, um, brands are always touting how fast something sold out or whatever. And, and, And that's like one thing to brag about, but you can kind of manipulate that by just you know, having five of them or something. And then, yeah, it'll sell out fast. Um, but having the specific number amount, like the dollar amount, I'm like, geez, that's a lot of, that's a lot of underwear. <laughs> I was going to say, well, then you look at the, that the cheapest, most affordable thing is $100 and is underwear. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it was, it happened faster than, than you'd think. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. You, you have something there with, um, in terms of manipulating <laughs> The numbers possibly. I saw several reports that this collection has sold out. And if you go on the site now, I counted <laughs> 21 of the 56 items just say low stock. And that just means that some sizes are sold out. It's not It's not sold out. So those reports are false. Let me just say that. I'm, I'm always wary of like the sold out kind of thing or, or any sort of reports of 
how fast something's sold or whatever. Um, I, I feel like I have seen, uh, not going to name any names, but I have been privy to launches and I've been sent the link, you know, beforehand. And I look at it and it already says that one of the things is sold out and it's not even out yet. So I'm always like, what is that about? You know, I'm not, not going to accuse anybody of anything, but I don't know. There are many ways to make something sound uh, like something you have to have. And one way is to say that everybody's buying it and it's going to go fast. FOMO is a, a very good marketing tactic. So, um, but at the same time, I mean, I'm not totally surprised that like, like Fendi's really popular. Kim is really popular. Like it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I am wary of things like that. Yeah, for sure. And I think just um, with all of these collabs, they're all coming out with a drop. Um, Fendi and Skims, they are also doing 13 uh, pop-ups corresponding with the collaboration worldwide. So outside of um, Beverly Hills, I think there's one in Vegas, but then there's Dubai and um, in China. Anyway, worldwide. I really see this as a chance to really um, get people their holiday goods while they can um, and just, yeah, scratch, <laughs> check it off your list for the brand. Like we released it, we did it. Um, pop-ups, people can buy, take it home. Um, it's a little kind of a, a means of getting around all of these um, supply chain shipping, shipping issues for sure um, ahead of the holidays. The timing seems right for, for everything happening this week. Yeah, definitely. And I always think it's, the, I remember hearing someone, I think it was, um, Josh Luber of StockX, who described it this way to me once, but the whole like some brands like Nike or Supreme are masters of like controlling hype through just the right balance of like exclusivity, availability. They, they've calculated exactly how fast something can sell out to like make it seem like a huge deal without making everybody angry. And whenever I hear about brands that like drop something and it's super limited or whatever. I always think about uh, what I was going to say is he described it like a faucet where you have to sort of like, you know, you turn the faucet on more or less to like control like just the right amount of like stream of product, you know? So, but it, what I was going to say though, is it's interesting how that started as a very like sort of streetwear drop kind of thing. And is now just like the standard way to sell anything like literally all types of brands not even in fashion are dropping a i'm doing air quotes like dropping a limited edition like exclusive drop or something like that it's just become you know a standard part of like marketing honestly you buy something that's been sitting on the like the shelf for (laughs) a month how stale no thanks (laughs) yeah absolutely okay and then last one is ivy park and peloton ivy park is the beyonce brand i believe um I don't have a ton of opinions on this one other than that Peloton has like not been doing so hot this year. I think they started the year worth $45 billion and now they're worth $15 billion, um, which is $15 billion more than I'm worth. But still, like compared to the beginning of the year, that's not so great. Um, but they do have pretty strong apparel ambitions. I know just from talking to them a couple of times over the last two or three years, they've put a lot of money into their own apparel into a collaboration, stuff like this. So I don't think it's like sort of a desperate, like out of nowhere play. Like they've been wanting to do something like this for a while, but it's notable that they're sort of not in the best position. Yeah. I mean, to me, this wins as a win for Ivy Park. I mean, not that. So it's really a triple collab. I don't know what you call a triple collab, but Ivy Park is Adidas. <laughs> Ivy Park, Adidas. Oh, that's Peloton. right. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. But um, 
I was looking at the the items. There are 29 pieces ranging from a $45 t-shirt to a $200 pair of sneakers. I mean, I really love the <laughs> the color combination is great. It's kind of the army green mixed with the highlighter yellow. Um, but it's really um, like nothing to me reads as Peloton. I mean, it just looks as like signature Ivy Park clothes, which is already athletic um, in, in because it's, you know, Adidas. Last last season, they did a bunch of um, denim styles. They had kind of a rodeo Western kind of um, theme to it all. So this time it was kind of coming back to their active wear roots. But I think what they're getting is tapping into the Peloton community, which is hardcore. And also what they did that was smart which you usually do a collaboration to reach a new audience is they had the Peloton instructors, the really popular ones like Cody Rigsby, who's on Dancing with the Stars right now, um, modeling the clothes in the lookbook and online and in all the marketing materials. So, you know, you, you have the super fans, they're seeing uh, their superstar <laughs> um, instructors um, driving, driving this message. Um, I think that helps a lot. So yeah, I think it's more of a win for Ivy, Ivy Park and Adidas. I agree. And I was just thinking, cause I was talking to, um, scene studio. They, they did a collaboration with Emma Lovewell, who's a Peloton instructor recently, but that collaboration was just with Emma, like not, it had nothing to do with Peloton, but I mean, it kind of did indirectly because she's famous because of Peloton. So it's just funny to me how they, the, like Peloton makes their instructors very famous. They obviously make a lot of money off the instructors, but then also the instructors are off making other brands money and doing stuff that's not involved with Peloton at all. So I don't know what my yes. point is there, but it is notable. No, that's a really good point. I was going to say um, in the last year and a half as everybody's working out from home and I feel like we've all, you've seen the, the rise of the fitness instructor, the online fitness instructor, whether that's um, Tracy Anderson, I do Megan Roop, like some brand should be collaborate. I mean, she does a lot of Instagram collaborations, but in terms of apparel, like there's definitely opportunity there because these communities are so diehard and they're on Facebook groups like raving about this instructor all day and night, which I've seen. So anyway, it's interesting. It's definitely, yeah, a new opportunity for brands. And yeah. they, there will be more, I'm sure. Collaborations have become so like just omnipresent and lacking all novelty that they only sort of work for me if I, it's a really out of the box and appealing, like at least one of the brands or if it's just, you know, a good product on its own. I think we're far, far, far past the point of just like a collaboration being novel enough on its own to like do anything. Um, and then I wanted to shout out my, one of my favorite collaborations of all time, which is the Puma and Polaroid sneaker from a couple of years ago. You should look it up. It's very cool. I've been wanting a pair for several years now, but that one's my favorite. I know you have a least favorite as well. I know you do. What was it? It was like Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. I don't even remember who the brand was. Yeah, I I, I must have blocked it out of my mind. Yes, there was a Wreck-It Ralph one from a couple of years ago that just something about the cynicism of it just really rubbed me the wrong way. I, oh my God. I remember you really hated it. Oh, Danny. I don't know what it was. It just bothered me. It just was like, this is for children. Leave the kids alone. Not that kids oh. aren't like the most marketed to like beings in the universe, but. Oh my God. Well, I don't have a least favorite, but Altazara from Target is iconic and I still have my dress. So yeah. I'll need my favorite too. Anyway, I'm glad we had this fun. <laughs> 
end note to this podcast. Yes. Jill, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and we'll talk again next week. All right. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Danny.